it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to talk with Casey from the band The Wonder Years. He also does an amazing podcast called The Record Process. We were able to chat with Casey over Zoom video. Casey talks about where he grew up, how he got into music, forming The Wonder Years, oh, a bunch of early stories about the band, getting their first record deal, doing their first big tours. But we focus a lot on his podcast. This podcast is incredible. He's starting to kick off season two. It's called The Record Process. And they interview different artists and musicians, and they talk specifics like, how did that one record, how, how did you make this one album? Or how did you get this sound? And they get narrow it down really, really niche on certain aspects of the recording and music industry. So not only will you learn all about his podcast, the record process, you'll learn everything you want to know about the Wonder Years as well. So make sure to check out Casey. We've got the video up now on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. Be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify, follow us there and leave a five-star review. That would be amazing. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Casey of The Wonder Years and The Record Process Podcast. Basically, our podcast is about the whole your whole journey in music. I don't know if you mind talking about Wonder Years stuff. I mean, no, no, absolutely. And honestly, uh, full disclosure, if this is like, in part of the episode and we're already going we never had an official start for anybody that was listening we're just in i never now. have an official start. um and that's and that's brilliant <laughs> i love it and i kind of i um i was sensing that uh so i you know just kept going with it and um okay. I, think, I think those are sometimes the best but yes absolutely uh let us talk about wonder years because that is kind of the origin of a lot of these ideas and, and thoughts that i do now have <laughs> rad awesome i just wanted to clarify because sometimes you i'll talk to someone like eh, i'm in a new band i don't really they want to touch on the old stuff so i love that you're willing to talk about it most of the time oh, people are cool with it so yeah oh we're heavily out. touching on the old stuff so much so that we're playing uh our oldest two records uh back to back every night for two months in a row starting next week so i know that's so awesome you're playing yeah. Brooklyn bull here in nashville too that's right yeah yeah on I'm a excited. saturday night which is so good because i have two kids and, it, and i don't have a huge community down here so it's hard to find babysitting but i think i could find somebody on a saturday night you know what's uh you know it's a great way to build community going to the old punk rock show <laughs> i know i know even, i know 
even uh, for people of our age, you know, um, and you won't be the only one uh, in, in your age bracket there. Well, at least we'll be there as well. So you'll be like, <laughs> the guys on stage are also right here with me. And right. But uh, no, um, I am excited for that. Actually, um, we haven't played Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville. Um, so uh, I'm stoked to see that. And yeah, we it's not always Nashville doesn't always fall on a, on a Saturday or Sunday on like a weekend. So I'm actually uh-huh. stoked this time around that it does. That'll be great. Yeah, super rad. I saw that. And I haven't, dude, full disclosure here, I haven't really been to any shows since I moved to Nashville. I haven't been here nearly a year. Um, but, it, you know, COVID happened. I got kids and it's like, eh, it never really worked. And now I'm seeing people come through and I'm like, okay, I need to go. I need to go see the Wonder Years at the Brooklyn Bowl. It's a Saturday. Let's do this. That's so. right. I would say that, <laughs> that is a strong decision and a, and a well thought out choice. For anybody that's listening that might be on a fence in another city, Come on, you got to pick one. You just right. it just takes a commit, put it on the calendar, find the sitter, do whatever you need to do. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm 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 hyped. I'm gonna go see that. Well, on your recording stuff, did you record that you put out a a song what in 2020 with Wonder Years, a new one? Uh, so we've put out a couple things over the last couple years. So um, as far as that goes with uh, with new material, we did a kind of like a deluxe anniversary box set re-release um, okay. of uh, of upsides. And um, and actually we'll, what we kind of conceptualize as a cool like deluxe um, addition to that package was taking a few songs or ideas, I should say, uh, from that era that were like straight up like voice memos or very raw, unflushed out, unfinished demos that -hmm. never of songs that, you know, were from that era um, in a way, but never got finished, never made the record and, and just kind of like hung out and hung around. And we went back to those ideas and thought, well, wouldn't this be an interesting, uh, like time capsule project to go now have the current iteration and evolution of the wonder years and of ourselves as musicians and people to go back and finish that work. But mm-hmm. now, you know, um, take the ideas that we, you know, were conjured up in that time and place. So they, they fit right in line with a lot of the, uh, themality and, um, an aesthetic of that record. But we get a chance to now kind of do the mulligan thing where like, well, if, you know, I'm relearning all of the, you know, and like rehearsing mm-hmm. all of these songs, I'm like, if I had that to do over, I'd, I'd definitely write something <laughs> less cheesy, you know, or whatever sure. it is. Um, right. You know, you're your own worst critic in hindsight's 2020. But so we actually uh, gave ourselves the opportunity of doing that with, okay. uh, with two ideas. And they um, yielded two songs, one called Out on My Feet and one called Breakless. Breakless is the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we did two uh, of those tracks and we actually to further the, um, the concept of that time and place idea, we brought back Mr. Steve Evitz, who actually produced Suburbia and Mr. Vince Raddy, who actually produced Upsides uh, and recorded Upsides. Uh, mixed both of those songs and Steve produced remotely actually quite similar to this where we piped him in via FaceTime uh, uh-huh. to the studio and kind of went back and forth uh, as we were tracking on our end. Uh, so it was a really interesting project to have everybody that has kind of shaped the early years and those early records of Wonder Years uh, all back in the same fold. And admittedly so, that was not the last time that that dream team would be assembled wink wink nudge nudge there's some other things in the pipeline for this year that i think wonder years fans 
will probably be somewhat interested in. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, you answered my question because I was wondering if you produced the records, uh, and especially through your, your uh, studio. But it sounds like you got grabbed the old people that helped you on the original right. records. and Right. Okay. Yeah. Just you, to have those takes, to have those opinions. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. We have a really I mean, every you know, everybody says this, but uh, I am very lucky uh, to be a part of a team that has so much talent um and, and taste and perspective um you know and, and there's a lot uh, a large number of us that are also very much excited with like the audio nerdery and the production mm -hmm. shocker here it's the guitar players um <laughs> that uh you know so when it comes to the actual production and tracking stuff we have done so early early days you know we did our own demos we, you know and we still do for every record you know go through that um writing and pre-production process where we you know record live demos and um and and make the changes and, and refine them to a pretty pretty you know finished point before we get into the studio um with whoever's doing it but we also make the calculated choice of bringing in an outside voice uh as though our band didn't have enough people with six we kind of bring in an honorary seventh member um to play the role of tiebreaker in a lot of the uh, on the fence decisions and to have some of that objectivity for one, not necessarily because we don't feel that there's a competent enough of talent uh, that I, you know, that I feel like I couldn't uh, engineer or produce a great Wonder Years record, but it would be a Wonder Years record with the caveat of having been produced by Casey or having, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and that does two things. That's a lot for anybody. Um, you know, you look at nowadays a lot, the, the amount of hats that, uh, you know, current producers, especially in our genre are asked to wear. It's, um, I was just, um, I was just, uh, just had an interview. I'll, I'll give it away. Uh, later in the year, uh, there's an episode with a producer, a great guy, Mike Pepe, that's done a ton of cool stuff um, in the world. Go look him up. But so look out for that uh, episode uh, on the record process coming in a few months. But we were talking about the same thing where it's like you're asked to be the engineer, the producer, also the band therapist, like you know also the hospitality and day runner, you know, because it's just you in the studio with an entire band. Um, and that's a lot. And shit falls through the cracks, you know, um, maybe on the engineering end or maybe you're too focused on getting something sonically that you're not realizing that your singers over there like ready to have a nervous breakdown, you know, and you could have had some more attention to that. So we never want to task any one member or at any time with that um, overwhelm at any point in the process. We want everybody to kind of be free and just be uh, be able to put forward all of their ideas and, and in general stuff um, and then have somebody else that handles all of that. And then if there is ever, you know, discrepancy or like creative uncertainty about where we're going with something, it's not well, so and so's at the board so they can just, you know, choose to you know, do it this way or do it that way, um, you know, that you kind of extend the range to that. So that's a, you know, that's a, a calculated choice that we've, we've never actually like, you know, well, I would say like we have a heavy hand in obviously how the songs come together and what they sound like. And I think anybody that would hear the, you know, live demos, pre-studio demos that we come into that process with and how the records, you know, they'd be like, oh, 
these aren't far off at all. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like it's, um, and sometimes that might be different, you know, it's, it's different with every band and every, every songwriter and every production team. Um, but for us, you know, we, we come in pretty dialed in, but there are a lot of moments where it's like, we want that seventh member to be like, Hey, honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to like rock the boat right now. I just want the vibe and the team to stay whole and cohesive. So you make the call so we can all be mad at you, you know? Um, but, uh, and so that you can catch all of the things on that end while we're worrying about just playing and the parts and being as cohesive as a unit as possible. So, yeah, so we, that's why we've never done it, um, that way, but, uh, okay. short of a few tracks, we did put out a Christmas song, um, for the first time in a while last year. Um, mm-hmm. It was called Threadbare, and I loved it. And that was actually done um, and engineered and produced remotely. So I tracked, you know, some guitars, harmonies down here. Um, you know, my other guitar player tracked the drums up, you know, up in Philly at his place. And, you know, so we brought that all together. But that was kind of, you know, a special exception that we were like, hey, let's just put this together quickly and, and have some fun. It's mm-hmm. no big, like grandiose. We're not trying to win a Grammy here with this Christmas song. We're just trying to make <laughs> a nice, a nice moment with a, with a song and, and a musical idea that we had in the background. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about the podcast real quick. I, I know I'm jumping all over the place cause this is, you're just so, I love what you're, I love your vibe, man. You're just like very, you, you know, a lot about everything. So it's cool to, <laughs> to hear all these stories. I really dig it, but I I never thought I'd say this. It must be a Southern thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious because on the podcast, your podcast, the record process, do you interview? Because I listened to the latest episode before I talked to you, which was, I mean, it's great. I love, I love what you guys are doing. And it's very technical talk about how to record and, and put these records together. Do you interview somebody in the industry on every episode? So this is uh, this is perfect timing. And I love that you asked that question, because actually, interestingly enough, this is this is kind of the um, the the calm before the storm, so to speak, where everybody's like, oh, I checked out that show or like I heard about that show. And I'm just like, that was season one. And I'll give you a little bit of the origin story as to why season one will be, um, you know, will act from here on out as more of a precursor and laying the like foundational almost like textbook groundwork before you go out into the wild and apply all of those things um because yes season two is coming and we'll start with the first episode on february 8th and it's all interview based and awesome so yeah so um and not only is it all interview based um what you know one episode uh or one interview each week with a specific guest we actually talk about a specific release from their career from their discography so um so not only are we are we kind of taking the whole you know the whole process in a linear fashion that we talk through myself uh tom and adam on on the first season which was more of just a hey we love having these conversations about the different you know nerdery and different ways to approach you know each phase of making a record because we kind of were doing it you know in the studio with clients and with our own you know music that we we're that we we're making together we realized that we loved having those conversations about oh well like we could do it this way or this is actually like we might get this kind of result if we if we treat it and approach it this way um, and have just been, you know, I think the older you get, the more you get fascinated with even just the process itself um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not less of the result, but uh, but it starts to balance out more. Whereas, you know, maybe when I was younger, I was more focused on trying to hold the result, uh, you know, to a series of expectations. And uh, and so that was why we were like, hey, let's 
put this into a format where we can kind of focus, uh, you know, focus the energy in some of these talks that we love having and are having it, you know, in the studio from week to week anyway. Um, put a microphone in front of us and kind of organize it so that maybe uh, anybody that's interested or curious um, about that journey and, and wants a behind the scenes look and, and maybe some tips or info for what they were doing. Uh, it might be there, you know, so that mm -hmm. will always that will live there as that guide. And then about halfway through it, we realized, oh, what this actually is, is the precursor to then both expanding and uh, narrowing the focus uh, expanding by taking it out into the universe and realizing there are an infinite amount of incredible records that have been made, all of which have a different story behind them. Um, things that relate to the time, the place, the things that were, you know, inspiring them, the people that collaborated on them. Uh, and they all shape how those records turn out, but then also narrowing it to the perspective of whichever person was specifically involved in that process and the perspective by that i mean if it was the musician the artist themselves right whether oh, okay. it was a band or you know a solo like singer songwriter or if it was the producer you know what their side of that whole process looked like trying to work with the band what their role was and, and how they saw it and their story and how it kind of changes on their side uh all the way to people that you know are charged with once a record is made bringing it to its audience and shaping that creative vision all the way through even on like the publicity side or the marketing end of it you know from a from a label and an industry perspective which is kind of cool like i think that's super cool because that's right, what i that applies to any even this podcast my i would love to listen to that to see how uh, you know, you, you market your band because you're essentially marketing a business, right? Right. Exactly. No, totally. And so there's so many parallels, which is why actually I love that we left off and ended season one with an episode specifically about that, because I think a lot of times when people talk about the creative process and, and interview musicians, producers, people in that world, they forget that there is an artistry that extends well beyond just the finite you know, timestamp of a record musically. There's the artwork that goes into it. There is the tour, you know, stage setup that, that coordinates with that and how they bring that vision and sew that throughout that ultimately makes, you know, a casual, ah, I like that song, but I, I don't know who it's by. It's just on the mm -hmm. Spotify playlist that I listen to, to right. I am obsessed. This is my new favorite band, and this will now consume the next five to 10 years of my life musically, you know, and I will be at every show and I will be, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, an audience, it, I, I kind of use the tree falls analogy a lot where it's like if someone makes an incredible record, but they don't know like where to go with it or where to put it out. It's like uh, there's a lot of especially nowadays, the if you put it on if you put it on Bandcamp, they will come you know it's like mm -hmm. that is not true either and i think the people you know what this modern climate is really challenging artists to do aside from wear a thousand different hats and feel super overwhelmed and anxious every second of the day that they're not doing enough which that's a whole other journey that i unpack <laughs> with some uh you know uh with some of my coaching clients and, and younger artists that are trying to develop uh their identity but it really is um 
asking them to build a world for other people to kind of come live inside and know and really resonate with on a level outside of just the sonics of a song, you know, and, and really what those songs are actually representing behind the scenes. So there's a lot in there. And that's why, I, you know, ending with that episode was kind of the perfect transition point to what we will now do with some awesome episodes talking, like I said, with publicists, mixing engineers, the bands themselves, the songwriters behind them, you know, um, people that normally you would throw on the like really boring, like business end of things that have a better like hand on the pulse of what an artist or band was doing than maybe some of the people that were involved in the actual making of that, you know, than a mastering engineer or a mixing engineer. Like it's, wild how all of these things coincide and so many of these thoughts and decisions get made or get, you know, highlighted along the way and are, it's all, it's all kind of, um, you know, boiled down to, like I said, the time place and the people that are involved. And it's so fascinating because I, I, I truly, I'm like chopping at the bit and much in the same way of like, when we have a new wonder years record that hasn't seen the light of day yet, which not that I would know anything about that firsthand currently right now at this time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and, and we're no, you know, we're no stranger to that phase of being in a band and that excitement where you have a record that's wholly yours, but you want so badly for everybody to see it and enjoy it in the same way. That's how I feel with this season of the record process that we're about to roll out because these interviews, I not only have such genuine enjoyment, um, from them, but I think there's so many incredible lessons that I'm just like, yo, th I am so glad you showed up and said yes to this because what you just put out there is a perfect example. I, you can't actually put it into words better. And now anyone listening, just like I will, will have that idea reinforced and remember that story, which is, mm -hmm. I think the best way to kind of, you know, if you're looking for not just to be entertained, but to also take away some things, which are what I look for in some of my favorite podcasts, I kind of, you know, took that and with, um, my co-host went to, uh, set forward to try to like, bake that into a show too, so that it was like, Hey, we're go make a show that you'd want to listen to, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of what I'm doing where I'm lucky enough to be like, Hey, I had a, had a couple people I could call from spending some time, uh, you know, around this and tried to curate a really cool cross section of unique voices, perspectives, and albums that aren't just in, you know, the wonder years genre, but kind of pull from outside lessons that are, ubiquitous, you know, and span across genre and time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot said there, but I am, oh. I am excited is what that all boils down to. I love, so you're not keeping it genre specific then. So it's not all people within the world that the wonder years lies in. Uh, no, it is not. Okay. And, and, but I will say that as one might imagine, having spent so much time in here, there were a few friends right out of the gate that I was like, man, I, the timing of this is too good. There were a couple other friends that like you would imagine also um, gave birth to some pretty important records in the genre just mm. over a decade ago and are also celebrating those. Maybe I'm talking about uh, a band that is notoriously paraded around the genre um, as a flagship um you know, uh, artist from Tallahassee. Uh, and if you didn't quite pick up on that, yes, see, uh, the first episode on February 8th 
is uh, is going to feature the wonderful uh, speaking voice of Mr. Derek Sanders and Brooks Betts from Mayday Parade, who were talking wow. about their self-titled album. So uh, that was an awesome one. And I was like, this is perfect. They're, they're going to be mm-hmm. out hitting the road, um, you know, starting a full international run to commemorate that record and its place in the scene and genre. So yeah, so there there will be plenty of crossover into our world if uh, someone is a Wonder Years fan already coming into this show. So don't worry. And also there is there are some Wonder Years specific nuggets in there too. We knew we would not escape and <laughs> we were we we came prepared. So uh, and they will follow shortly behind that episode actually. That is awesome because I've interviewed two people that I think would be awesome for your show. And I would love to hear how they put to, and maybe you've already interviewed them. I don't know. Uh, Who are they? Will Putney. He's in a band called uh, Fit for an Autopsy, but he's produced like a bunch of records. Every time I die, you You um, know, I I have to, full disclosure, I am very well aware of Will and his work. Um, And not only that, but uh, my barber in Philly, who I miss dearly, um, is in his new band, The End. So, um, oh, okay. so and I was like, going to say, he's uh, a Jersey guy too. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> and I will, I, honestly, I'm, I know I will get there. And I know a lot, and he's, all, he's already made the rounds on a lot of really cool podcasts and shows that talk, you know, specifically about, um, you know, the production stuff and the, te- and the technical stuff. Um, but he's made some killer records. So I'd love, uh, I mean, if for any reason, Will, you're listening, uh, you know, um, I'm going to have Jay hit you up about this very soon. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you know, and that's the, that's the other kind of interesting thing where there's so many great ones that people are like, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, honestly, keep them coming. I'm putting them all in an Excel list. And I'm like, I want to do every one, but I also realize, oh, um, that doesn't work with their schedules uh, and or mine to just do nine hours a day of episodes, even though I would love it. Um, so all in due time, who's the second one though? And maybe uh, you could, uh, as someone that, you know, has already spoken with them, give us a, give us a friendly recommendation. Oh, of course. <laughs> I will send him a message right out of here. Uh, Brian McTurnan, have you interviewed him before? We have not. So see, like I said, because we're just getting rolling with the new format, uh, there are so many good ones. And man, do I know he has made one or two records that uh, probably have a story behind. Oh, them. yeah. I mean, or that I know have a story behind them, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's done thrice records and Hot Rod Circuit records and Circus Survive records. And uh, I mean, Hot Water Music, he's, his list is insane. It's so pretty nutty. He would be great for your show. And, and, uh, well, I'd love to Brian, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> and, you know, obviously, you know, where, you know, where to find us. We're, you know, very, very approachable on the internet <laughs> and outside of it. Um, I'm usually just at my house down here in Georgia. So, uh, and, or you'll know where I'll be for the next two months. If you just want to hop on to the wonder years tour date listing, Sure, uh, but I uh, plan a show with him. He's in the band <sighs> called battery. Um, and they do a lot of those. I mean, festivalist shows. So yeah. Anyway, those are two people that came off the top of my head. I'm like, these are two people that would be rad on your show. See, and this is this is what's incredible because the the whole uh, goal of this was kind of to expand the conversation and get uh, people and anybody listening to be like this is my favorite record and I heard this one thing or I'm always curious why it, you know, came out like this as opposed to their other records. That is what uh, we love kind of playing detective and getting to the bottom of. Um, mm-hmm. And I find so interesting, especially with older records, you know, that have kind of impacted a ton of the lineage, you know, that came after them. Um, but also new records. And that's kind of the cool thing too, where there are some, there are a few 
records and artists that we speak with that we have ready to go in this first season that are maybe less of a i'll say household name as the like mayday parades you know mm-hmm. the prices the the circus like some of those you know huge um records but are doing some incredible things right now and i think should have a spotlight and have an awesome story about their process behind it that yields really unique results so that's mm-hmm. actually also what i was like oh man like well if at least a couple people are going to listen to it it's like you can't serve everybody but maybe you can put something in front of someone to be like yo this is now my new favorite band because i went i listened to the episode with them and then went and listened to it and my mind was doubly blown you know um sure. or the other way you see it coming down and you're like i've never listened to that record let me go listen to it like what the hell and then you get into it and then you go listen to the episode choose your order but uh i love doing that stuff anyway where i'll see people come up on my show maybe it's happening now where people are like who the frig is this casey cavalier um <laughs> and then they're like ah well he talks a lot but the show is cool uh you know or whatever it might be so yeah I love it. So I just figured those would be two people that I knew off the top of my head that I was like, okay, these would be great. But I want to talk about the Wonder Years and I actually want to talk about how you got into music. Were you, are you originally from Lansdale, Pennsylvania? I, know, I read that the band's from there. Are you from there? The band is from there. I'm from not far from there. Um, it's interesting. It's a 50-50 split, uh, yet Lansdale kind of became our home, even though uh, the other three of us went to a different high school that was like 20 minutes down the road um, in like Ambler, Bluebell area. But yeah, that general area and Lansdale had a, I'll say had the scene uh, that we came up in, in like VFWs and gymnasiums and stuff like that. So um, yeah, no, we're all from that area and we all played, as you might imagine, in different bands previous to Wonder Years. And that's how we kind of met each other, knew each other. I went to high school, like I said, with my bass player and my drummer. Um, And it was kind of a end of high school. Uh, All of us were wrapping up uh, and getting ready to ship off to school to college and uh i mean the band the origin of that is pretty much just like well this like pop punk thing uh is kind of a you know a side pleasure of everything that we're listening to right now and kind of this like thread of commonality um amongst all the different you know between all the different bands and styles that we were playing in so we Mm -hmm. got together and we're like i don't know let's just kind of jam on something like that uh i mean and I'll just because I've already uh, talked a lot and some of the rest of the origin might be out there on the Internet anyway. The rest was history, as they say. Um, but it was uh, it was a little bit more of a lighthearted history in the beginning as the lyrical approach was in no way, um, you know, rich with depth. And the metaphors were uh, more stand up co- comedy and cartoon strip than they were, uh, you know, deeply uh, illuminating and awakening and resonant into personal experience. So, um, you know, and we then slowly transitioned. We we were having fun at first, which I think helped us not hold on to things too, too much, uh, too quickly, which I think is sometimes a pitfall that a lot of bands are like, we got to do this. Like these promo photos that were taken on the train tracks or in front of this abandoned warehouse have to look so legit. <laughs> right. Um, and while they do look legit, uh, that's not, you know, always the recipe for like incredible longevity, right? Is right. And those things. So we were able to have fun early on that got us kind of through a slower transition into, Hey, we want to keep playing together. We like this, this genre and this style. Um, 
it all feels genuine to us. The only thing that doesn't really feel like super genuine are the lyrics and or things we're writing about. So maybe let's um, let's lean into some things that have a little bit more substance that we can all get behind, you know, right. um, and just and leave it there. So that was kind of uh, how the Wonder Years came together as a band. And then I, you know, played obviously like in high school bands. Yeah, you know, and uh, of the uh, school discipline and outside of it. Uh, you are, well. were you in, you're in band in school? Oh, I was deeply entrenched in the world of marching band, uh, right. being made fun of by football players, you know, all the good stuff, looking super great <laughs> in my uniform um, as a somewhat overweight, uh, plump trombone player. But uh, yeah, you know, um, it's high school is an awkward phase, man. And I, it's funny that I love that you're saying this because I, um, I, my son is in middle school. I have a son in middle school and a, one in kindergarten, but the middle school one, he's in, he's in chorus right now. And he gets pissed off every time I bring this up to somebody on the show, but I don't really care. Uh, he's in chorus right now. He thinks he's going to get made fun of yet. He's never got made fun of. And I'm like, why do you care once you get to like, he's like in high school, I'm going to get bullied and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and, and to ask you how many of those people that were in the football team ever amounted to anything and even left that area probably not a whole lot of them well if you're peaking right. in high school and you're bullying kids the chances of you i mean you're in a huge band now how much would they be like oh man i wish i was in that band well like, and what i mean and, and yes there's um there is sometimes truth to that narrative that you're mentioning but to be fair i like to take more of a um i guess empathetic approach and realize any of that um, negativity or bullying is usually most likely forged out of uh, a deeper rooted insecurity. Uh, and some of those I like to think, and I've even seen it and, and felt it and heard it. Some of those people will come around and be like, I was deeply an asshole. And I was because I was trying to make the other people in that in my friend group laugh you know i was okay. just trying to like you know what i mean so it's like i like to hear that though because yeah I, my personal experience i've i've seen people that i went to high school with and when i was doing stuff on the radio in san diego they'd like come, and then all of a sudden they want to be best friends with me but then they're kind of like still a dick and i'm like dude we're not we're not 14 15 years old anymore I understand that you still live with your parents or whatever in the same city we grew up in. Now you have an apartment with three other guys that went to our high school. I, yeah, I, that's funny that you said that. I'm glad to hear that because some of the experiences I've personally had, I'm just like, eh, what yeah. happened? Well, Why and, are you still living in that world? Right. Well, and you know what? I mean, uh, and I look at that and, and some people do evolve and grow, but also, like I said, high school is a weird, awkward time and you <laughs> exactly. fall, you fall into different, um, you know, different pockets at almost as like a, uh, a form of survival. Right. Um, and so, I mean, to your son, I, I would say, listen, if you truly love singing and you love chorus and you like the people that are there, lean into that, do it for yourself. Cause by the, cause the end of hi high school will come, the end of high school will come very quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. One. So um, don't try to like wish it away, uh, you know, sounding truly like a dinosaur now. But um, the other thing that I would say is like the second you get out of that and further, you know, into your life, you realize, oh, high school was such a small microcosm and example of everything else out there. And like, well, chorus was just one period of the rest of my day. Like 
you, there's a world where if that's really what you love to do, chorus can become every period of your day. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and the world looks a lot different when you start to realize that. And sometimes you don't realize that until you're you know, much older. But the football player mentality, it's like those people will always be there, but you can go suss out way more common minded people uh, that will be way more supportive of what you're doing once you get out of high school, because it's like you might right now, it might only be like 15, 20 kids in a chorus class and like half of them, you're like, it's not that's not my person. You know, that's not mm -hmm. any, like that's fine. We're all here singing, but I, you know, um, whatever. It's like the second you get out, it's like, hey, I love singing this style. It's like the world is your oyster and there are going to be 700,000 people on the internet doing covers and vocals that specifically resonate with you. Uh -huh. And it's really easy to go and find those people. Um, and now, now more than ever, kind of just like have a, you know, even if it starts digitally or whatever, it's like, it brings the world to your door and all of those people. And you realize you're not alone. The older you get, the more you realize you're not alone in the same way that you and I realize that we are not alone, uh, in terms of being, uh, extroverted introverts right and <laughs> exactly. so, so he will finally be like hey you know how i don't have to deal with them if i'm just doing like youtube collab things remotely um and i can you know do that it's like and so a lot of those ideas it's it's very um it's very narrow focused because you don't realize the potential of where you're going to go so just uh let him uh continue you know to chase that and if you're enjoying it and he's getting enjoyment out of it i mean yeah, well, hopefully you can curse because I think I've already done it. But uh, in a less glamorous way of saying it, fuck the haters, you know, right. because they're not going to be there that. forever. And don't let them right now in the short run divert your path if it's something that really feels good and genuine to you, you know, because that that genuine passion is something that a lot of those people will be missing later in their life. And for that, it's it's very sad. And I do feel for them because I've seen people that don't have that passion or that mm -hmm. got rid of that passion because someone made fun of them relentlessly for it. And then I've seen people that didn't get rid of that passion and steered through it. And some of them are extremely like successful in the conventional like visibility and metric sense and others of them might not be, but they're maybe some of the happiest and most fulfilled people that I've ever met are mm -hmm. the people that steered through it and whether or not, you know, people are like recognizing them or they're, you know, steer into the celebrity metric of that. So if you want to be a happier person, steer into that now and be honest with yourself because the rest will kind of start to clear out and play out and you'll be, I think better for it. I'm better for it because I just kept doing my marching band thing because I liked the people that were around me and I liked uh -huh. what I was doing, you know? I love that. I love that. So you did, you said trombone. <laughs> yes, I did okay. play trombone. <laughs> when is that the first instrument you learned? It, it was honestly. I mean, I think okay. you know. There's probably my dad was in bands years like in the '70s. He played bass, so there were some there oh, were a really? few basses um, lying around the house. Yeah, so I I probably picked those up. Like there was an old like classical guitar, like acoustic that was really beat up. Um, that I think I, I remember him teaching me like day tripper, like, or something on boom. And I was like, Oh, that's so sick. Probably took me like, you know, five weeks to actually get initially. But so that was like in an interesting thing. And I wasn't even like a Beatles fan back then. I like hadn't actually heard the song. My dad taught me the riff before I'd ever actually heard the song. Interesting thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I so that was probably like the first stuff I had like noodled around with, short of like the recorder they put in your hand in, oh, in sure. third grade or whatever it is. But um, yeah, and then um, that was kind of like junior high, and then I, I played that, and then guitar, 
um, you know, all through high school. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Did you ever see your dad play or did he quit the band prior to you? No, no, no. I, I, I never saw him play. I honestly, I, I just like kind of um, heard like bits and fragments of the story and mostly was just aware of it because I saw like the leftover couple like, you know, tour amps and or like guitar, you know, bass cases around mm-hmm. that were like in the crawl space or the attic or whatever. And then it wasn't until like junior high when I kind of like broke them out. I was like, does this amp work? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my God, it, it shakes the house. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, you know, but no. So, and then, like I said, short of just like kind of connecting and, and seeing him freak out over some of those classic rock records that were his favorite, mm-hmm. um, never like saw him play in, in any bands or whatever. Um, but I feel like I got the essence from just looking back at some of the old promo photos of that era where I'm just like, oh, like that almost famous movie, you guys were basically Stillwater. Uh, you guys were like, <laughs> Like the three dog night version of Stillwater with long hair, bell bottoms and like a sequined, like bedazzled shirt with like one button at the bottom done and the rest of the chest hair hanging. I was like, cool, I got that vibe. OK, get it. Um, <laughs> so even though I didn't see them play, there's video of all the other like Doobie Brothers bands in that same era that were releasing records on some of those labels that uh, I was like, I feel like you were you're fitting in. I see where you were. You were on the, you were on the, you know, the beginning of the bill and broke up before you got to the top of the bill, but you had your go, you had your time. And I can, I can picture what that would probably be like, you know, wearing like two inch platform shoes, all this stuff. I'm just like, yeah, that's why you got a bad back now. I get it. (laughs) Also, I spent like two decades stomping around in vans on like hardwood VFW floors. And now my back hurts. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I get it. I mean, he must be very supportive of you in the band. He is. I mean, he, yeah, well, uh, yeah, he's super stoked and he's still like, you know, we laugh about it to this day where I think when he saw that kind of that spark awaken and him and my mom, he was probably just like this incredible, like, oh man, I've never been so excited, but also I've never been more terrified because he kind of had lived through it. He's like, oh no, you know, and, and thank God it's like some parents could probably just be like, absolutely not. I did that. I know how twisted that world is go play football. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. please don't do that. And he was in no way like that. Um, he totally got, and he's like, once the bug bites you, it's like there, you're, you're kind of there. Um, and, uh, and he was super supportive. They let us, um, you know, starting at probably like 12 years old, let us make so much horribly uncohesive noise upstairs in the attic for so, so many years. So, uh, and I appreciate it. You know, it was, you got to get the bad stuff out <laughs> and they sure. let you know, that, that's really cool. That's really cool. You yeah. mentioned that you were, you know, in bands and in the scene with the other guys in the in the Wonder Years playing in what's uh, different bands. And then you guys kind of came together and were like, we should what do something together. Like, how did the initial band begin? I mean, what was it like? You all were just going to focus on this. Were you not going to school? Like, how did that come together? And you're like, we all want to just do this. This is what we're going to do forever. Like I said, it was a, it was a very um, long uh, like groundswell to that point because we knew that we were going to college. We knew, you know, it's like, like I said, we weren't taking it seriously, but we knew that that genre was something that none of us had like wholly leaned into or explored with it, you know, with the band. So we we're like, well, let's write something like that. That's like power chordy, more in the in the world of that kind of like blink green day motion city soundtrack type stuff that was that was starting to you know that was popping off and having a moment back Mm -hmm. then um and that we were all listening to and fans of anyway um and uh so i mean that was pretty much it and you know got together as like this will be a fun little side project 
thing. Um, not even in the sense of like, let's go write an EP. Let's get serious in the sense of like, let's jam. And maybe like, we'll write a song. And okay. you know, then our singer was like, so in terms of what I should do here, should I write like, real lyrics or joke lyrics and obviously all of us are like oh definitely joke lyrics uh well, you know? that was the thing i mean right. blink was the biggest band on the planet when it came to that stuff right and so i mean and he like in his in, like very astute um you know creative sense uh really leaned into the uh joke lyric world building which i think is interesting because that that world building it's like those are all really really thought out, um, you know, ideas and concepts, mm -hmm. in, in, like dressing up these jokes and, and things like that. So I look back on it and I'm just like, we don't play, um, you know, a lot of those songs anymore, but uh, I still get a chuckle. And I'm just like, I can't believe that's where we went with it. Some of them are just like, eh, I could have done without that one, you know? Um, right, but right, I think right. that's, that's part of the learning process, you know? And, uh, and I, I do still think there was ironically enough, not trying to, over uh overdress it but there was some artistry there even in those lyrics at times in the same way that there's artistry in like slapstick physical comedy you know mm -hmm. um it's like does it make you laugh well then i guess it worked it wasn't the most highbrow witty thing always but uh you remember it you know uh and it elicits a reaction so sure i mean well you guys got picked up pretty soon i mean no sleep records picked you up pretty quickly right um I, you I mean, know not pretty quickly but you you they started putting out your first what ep yeah so we put out you know we like self-released a split with another band in our hometown i think and i think it was kind of shortly after that that got reviewed by you know one or two things like a uk publication and uh, a few other things and um and i guess that's when the conversation started uh you know and yeah and so then you know we put we made um we made that um that full length and uh and then we you know toured on it had some fun and and then we also put out a seven inch which was kind of more of a turning point into the middle ground of real and fiction and joke you know lyrics that was kind of a transitional point and mm -hmm. that was like pre upside so upsides was like the first like you know taking that um that that band approach and and kind of the identity we had started building and uh -huh. evolving it just a little bit more into something that was a little more uh you know a little more worthy of us to like stand behind you know there sure. were still some lighthearted moments on there and and some character things that you know i think you see and, and were a natural progression of not completely flipping the switch on the you know the songs and themes um and the way we treated things previous to that but mm -hmm. you know it was definitely well, when did you forward when did you realize like you know were, were, were your shows getting bigger like at what point you're like this is something that is gonna like is working we should do it i mean you did a whole tour right before putting out, out out that first record and that's what kind of drew the attention of other labels and other things like at what point are you like this is let's do this let's let's hit the road let's really you know put our all into this band yeah so uh like i said we you know it was kind of um we were all in school so we knew you know, when we were slated to kind of be finished up with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we'd still been playing some local shows and, you know, um, coming back um, from school on the weekends to play like Thursday, Friday, Saturday runs and, you know, in the Northeast and stuff. And we saw, you know, people that were like, hey, I like that EP or, you know, uh, um, 
and started to see a little bit of that. And then we did a full US like van tour. Some of the shows were very not good. And sometimes we were like, we're all the way across the country and there's some people here, you know, um, that, uh, that are, you know, getting into it and, uh, and feel like they're as excited and amped as we are to be out here on the West coast. So like we noticed it early, but it, you know, it wasn't like an overnight thing by any means. And the story right. of our band, I don't think is that of an overnight, uh, success, which I kind of like, it's more of a slow and steady burn in a lot of ways where there have been like spikes, you know, um, and, and serious like plateaus and milestones moments, you know, some of which being the, the release of upsides and then mm -hmm. the release of suburbia, but we've always kind of grown um, steam to an interesting place where we're, you know, I, I think in terms of like categorical, like metrics and or numbers and or like awareness of our band, we're, you know, at, at this many years later, like 15 plus years in, like kind of at, you know, at the top of it where more people than ever are at least aware of it and or have like a relationship with it, which is really cool uh, mm -hmm. to know and acknowledge. But I think uh, when, when we were finished college and I'll actually say there, you know, a couple ways and we discussed what we wanted to do. Were people willing to like, you know, post-college take the shot and spend a year and, and tour on it. And we were all kind of in on that. Uh, I think for me, actually, I was working at a mall retail store and this was like right before Upsize was coming out. And I think when I was like, oh, people are starting to like, I'm behind the counter. I'm like, people are starting to come in and, uh, and ask if we are going to carry that record. And I was like, I got to go. If they turn it over when this comes in, they're going to be like, you're the guy on that back cover. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I was like, uh, you know, and that was also cool. But then other like, you know, other employees, there were just like, is that going to be weird for you when your records like sitting right across, you know, the kit from the counter, you know, mm -hmm. at the, at the, on the listening wall. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I, and I, I was like, it's not like a, I, I'm above this or anything. It was like, it feels like if that's the case, then I should be out there, like trying to like, you know, support it in some way, you right. know, I should be, I should be out there putting time, you know, playing it. So I think when I saw that coming, um, for me personally, anyway, I was like, okay, cool. I was like, what is someone going to buy it and be like, Hey, are you that dude? I guess, can you unwrap it now and sign it? Uh, and it's like, you know, it's, it's not like a, that wasn't like a thing that I was like, Oh, I can't wait for this to happen. That was just more like a, it feels like I should be putting more time into it. If it's made its way here and is, you know, kind of that legitimized in, in a, in a certain sense. So, you know, and I think everybody probably had their different times, but that for us was, we were excited and we knew it was actually getting, you know, like a push. So, right. And so you had already signed with hopeless at this point or no? Uh, no. So we released okay. upsides on no sleep. Okay. And pretty shortly after, basically, um, we, uh, they, they had reached out to us and they came and saw us play, um, at a, uh, at a small show that was, you know, like packed, it was like a sold out show. It was only like 200, 250, um, you know, people, but I mean, again, that's, you know, that's in no way, nothing. That's a pretty significant thing, especially in our world. And it was, you know, pretty raucous and, you know, managed to get a few of, um, a few of them from the label to come out and they saw the energy that was already kind of there behind mm -hmm. it and excitement. And they said, Hey, we want to, you know, we want to work with you. We think there's some really cool stuff um, happening here. And they decided to eventually, they they re-released uh, Upsides as like a okay. deluxe 
And so is what happened. So, um, so it kind of went from no sleep and they, they took it and then re-released it, um, you know, and then, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I mean, that's huge. That must've been a huge moment for you. And at that point is everybody like, okay, we got to quit our day jobs. This is it. I think, well, we had already, you know, we had already kind of been in uh, on it and knew that that meant, but it doesn't always, it's again, like I said, it's not always like a flip the switch thing. I think there were even, even after that, we, you know, came home and we're like, okay, we'll still like work bit a bit part-time or, you know, some people do things, but it wasn't like none of us were like steering into, all right, I got to find like a real job nine to five and do it. We're like, I should stay available because I think we're going to be touring a lot and Mm -hmm. the next couple of years were just that, you know, (laughs) so. Did uh, they put you on the road right away to support it? Well, yeah, I mean, we put ourselves on the road in that regard, you know, um, they probably, you know, helped facilitate or, you know, I I think it's um, sometimes easier to to convince uh, another actor, another agent to give a younger band a shot if they know that Mm -hmm. a label is, you know, putting some resources and time and effort behind the promotion of that release or that artist at the time. Um, you know, but it also kind of just put us in front of with the record out, put us in front of a lot of that audience that was existing there already. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it kind of naturally happened to where eventually there was enough of a demand where people were like, we know that at least like, you know, 30% of the people at these shows are really wanting to see your band as one of the openers. So, come do the tour, you know, it's, um, and this is, it's kind of a, it's a leverage game, you know, where I think that's the other thing that I consistently, uh, have a conversation about with, a, a lot of, you know, younger and like very green artists in this climate is don't just record a bunch of songs and then do, and then have the, let me shop this to a label. And that's how I will flip the switch and then everything will fall into place, go out and, create some of your own leverage and, and, you know, start and prove and act as though there is no label coming. And then before you know it, if a label does come in, it'll come into a point and they will be coming in because they already see that groundswell and that organic following happening. And then you're like, well, I don't fully need you, but you could structure something to help me do X, Y, and Z, you know, to, to kind of pour more gasoline on this fire and support it. And that's, uh, you know, that was kind of, what happened there where they, they helped us understand, um, and gave, you know, lend some perspective, some of which we kind of pushed back on, at, you know, in, in any true, um, you know, artist label dynamic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it was, uh, it was helpful. And I think it's turned out to be overall, a, you know, a beneficial relationship for us. And sometimes that's not the case for bands, but, um, you know, we've steered into it and we've always had the heaviest guide of what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go with our band. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's been a, it's been a trust building exercise over the last decade with them, you know, for sure. For sure. What would you say like the next, uh, milestone for the band would be like, I mean, signing to hopeless has got to be one of the big ones. And then supporting that record like what would you say like next in line like where was your next little spike yeah uh, i think probably getting into the fold of um starting to do warp tour uh, okay you know with suburbia are the next record after that uh from a touring standpoint that kind of was the beginning of a lot of like a crazy whirlwind of us ending up on support tours with you know 
bands from like newfound glory yellow card that had been the, those like torchbearers in that mm-hmm. very pop punk centric world um and and that those are the things that kind of snowballed to where you know we were on tour for like 10 11 months collectively out of the year for a really you know and we were we were into it we were ready to take it on and those were probably the things that um you know that came next it was just heavy touring opportunities because we were you know building a a value so to speak Mm -hmm. in the marketplace that a lot of other bands are like well will come be part of our team and our tour for this you know and we can Mm -hmm. kind of um do that so that was probably that was probably the next one where you know getting put in front of that many people in that world and also having grown up and and been very familiar with the warp tour brand uh, that gave that gave things a pretty big shove yeah Mm-hmm. Would you say like, what would you say the band that kind of came or is there a band that came to you early on that you played with? And it was like, oh, my, like, I cannot believe I mean, Newfound Glory and, and Yellow Card probably are up there. But like, how, like we get to tour with blah, blah, blah. Like, is there one that comes off the top of your head? Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting, actually. So both of those, you know, we're, we're pretty big um, in that world for sure. Uh, but then uh, we did do... Um, a short tour uh there's a publication in the uk called kerrang magazine Mm -hmm. and they were doing uh like the kerrang tour every year and they would have a different headliner and they invited us to do it and um it was actually a year that we spent touring a ton all over we like with a band called four year strong um Mm -hmm. was doing a lot of things in the genre at that time but headlining the tour, they had uh, Good Charlotte, which uh, oh, wow. of, like, um, you know, MTV, who was still, you know, like putting out records, but also even in the early 2000s, um, you know, had been a very big staple of things in that punk world that were showing up on MTV and TRL. And so, you know, they had like, you know, they were kind of a, a great example of that, like very widespread visibility of our world in, in, you know, touching on the mainstream. Right. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting one, especially too being like, uh, you guys are straight up married to celebrities. Like, uh, right. you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but it was, dude, it was so fun. And those guys are so down to earth and they, um, and that was honestly a really good experience. There have not always been, um, super glowing experiences with touring with, you know, some of the bands that you look up to and idolize. I, I'll be mm-hmm. completely honest with that, but that was, that was a really good one and a really positive one for us. We are like, man, you guys, are probably you're doing okay financially you have you've built a brand um and they've been really smart with the way that they've done it and i think everybody you know i remember everybody being like good charlotte you guys are touring with you know like some of them being like whoa that's crazy and others being like that's isn't that lame uh you know like that's not punk i'm just like dude honestly these guys are more fucking punk than you could ever be in a hundred lifetime, you know? And and I'm like, and and just the way that they thought about it and the way also, uh, you know, as in, I I forget if we opened the tour or what, you know, where we were in the bill, but like, you know, they didn't have for all intents and purposes. You can just be on your bus uh, and never talk to anybody, go walk on stage, do it and go off. And they, uh, a couple times went out of their way to like be cordial and sit and like share space and have a conversation with us. And A, that meant a lot. And B, that kind of those kind of things get baked in and passed down 
to how we um, viewed touring as a band. Because then now, you know, for many years, we've been charged with putting together our own headline tour packages and picking support that we really like and want to put in front of people and knowing how to treat them right. Because we've also been treated not um, so nicely in certain support you know, situations or heard horror stories in that regard. And they were one of the big things where it was like, listen, if good Charlotte can be real as fuck with us, um, you know, and, and take a second or two and also just have like a, we were playing like a role playing game, uh, like card game at the time. Uh, and they were like, we were like, oh, they're definitely too cool for school. And they walked by the green room. And they're like, are you guys playing werewolf right now? Holy shit, dude. We like, we do that. We like put all the lights down. I have a bunch of people over the house when we're home and we do, I'm just like, get out of here. Like there's no, and that's the thing. It's like, there's like, there's no way you could plan that kind of like, um, that kind of moment. Even if someone was trying to manufacture, it's like, how am I going to like get these, get these guys to like, think we're cool and down. It's like, no, mm -hmm. like they were really were that many years later, still managed to figure out, you know, against many odds, how to have a, a head on their shoulder, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and we, that, that made a big Im impact on us. And, um, and so that's probably one of my favorite memories is that Kerrang tour for that reason. You know, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Cause I, I, like you said, people are like, Oh, that's lame. And it's like, um, these guys are doing what they love. They're in the genre and they've obviously built like brilliant businessmen. Right. In that sense, like, it's like blink. Blink is their businessmen that knew exactly what to do. They knew their lane and they stayed there and they just blew up. And there's only a handful of bands that were like that. Right. And Travis Parker is doing it all over again right now with his whole stable of bands that he's producing and bringing Unreal. forefront of a whole resurgence of that. You know what I mean? Um, he's no idiot, you know, no, um, not at all. like um, he, they, um, these guys are smart. And I think that was the first time too, where they're just like, you can be a punk, but you can also be smart and a genuine, like business minded individual as well. They're not mutually exclusive, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really cool to hear and see firsthand uh, as an example that, you know, we've, we've, um, you know, that's, that's kind of been, uh, pretty heavy handed in our ethos as a band, um, sure. before then, but also then since then, when you, when you have, you know, solid friends and, um, acquaintances like that, that can, can kind of display things with their actions, not just what mm -hmm. they say, which is cool. I mean, I'll remember even just like one more thing that it blew my mind. It was like, they were walking around and we we're just like, Hey man, I got to ask you, like, you guys are wearing like good Charlotte merch, like every day, like what's up with that? You're wearing your own band's merch. So they're just like, dude, this is our brand. Like if you built a clothing brand, wouldn't you wear it and be proud as hell of the brand? You it's like, what, like it, look at anybody else, any other CEO of a clothing line. It's like, they're wearing their stuff. Like they are the walking like representation of, I believe in this wholeheartedly. So why would wearing your own band's merch be any different? And that to us was just like, I mean, I'm not going to wear, I'm not going to wear my band's merch, but like when you say it like that, it's, so clear you know what i mean it makes so much sense and immediately i was just like dude these guys are on another level they do not give a fuck and that's incredible and also a great <laughs> testament to be like hey when people are like what's your favorite band it's like this is kind of an insane like serial killer answer to give but i don't know my band because right. why it should be you know what i mean like because you get to make 
the exact music you want to make, you know? Um, so I, I love that. Uh, and I just, I have to share it, had to share that as well. Cause that was, no, that's so cool. That's so yeah. cool to hear. I mean, when I think of the TR, like the pie, not the pioneers, but like the biggest bands in that genre at the time, it's the bands that were there on TRL. You had simple plan and you had good Charlotte and blink. And I mean, yellow card had a huge presence right. on there. And you think of those bands and it's like they did something because they're very smart and st or strategic about what they were doing. And that's how they made it there. It wasn't just like the guy from MTV was like, oh, this is kind of a cool pop song. Let's put them on the, you know, TRL. That's right. Yeah. And they had, and to be fair, in that era, they had a lot of people that were throwing a lot of resources into things that were good, like that were quote unquote hit songs into bands that knew who they wanted to be, you know, mm -hmm. um, Good Charlotte knew who they wanted to be. You know what I mean? Like they, because that was how they grew up. So even though like, um, you know, the songs about getting bullied in high school, it's like that shit was real because they straight up were those people in Maryland. Right. You know what I mean? Like people were like, Oh, this is so lame and fabric. It's like, no, honestly, the reason it resonated is because there were punks in every high school that were like, honestly, a that riff is kind of low key, heavy and sick and B. Uh -huh. I don't have Liberty spikes, but I feel that way. You know what right. I mean? Like, uh, yeah. So, um, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. They're totally yeah, genuine to their brand. Uh, yeah. Now they're on TV and big and rich and famous or whatever, but they also were the kid getting bullied. And that was, that was kind of where I was going with, with the chorus thing. It's like, yeah, those kids are probably the, 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 the nerdy art kid is going to be the, the kid that's selling, you know, millions of records or doing these big, cool things that are cool now which maybe not they don't look as cool in the moment right you know i mean again this is a bad example in terms of like being cool but like be nice to that kid because he might be the next friggin mark zuckerberg and maybe it right. would be nice to be able to like <laughs> have a chat with him about some idea you know like whether he be like hell-bent on world domination and evil or just be like hey you're a guy that happens to know about computer programming and i have a question about how that might apply to me that right. might be nice you know instead of just being like nope now you're on my list and mm -hmm. i don't like you forever you know um because i think that's also uh, you know just a good testament to to being kind you know and not going out of your way to to do that because you never know who's gonna um end up where you know sure call out bullshit when you see it but you know, you also, you don't always know, you can't judge a book by its cover and you don't always know what's behind someone. I'm sure there were, there are plenty of people that are just like, wait, that kid is like now in a band that people like get tattooed on them. Right. There. I definitely. <laughs> I wouldn't have read that as me either back then, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but that's sometimes how it happens. I love it. What with the uh, after the good Charlotte Crank thing, you know, the band I would imagine just keeps building, building momentum. When like at what point is it like we get to do these big headline shows? There's people coming no matter where we are. We're not the support act anymore. Where did that transition happen? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like pro like after Suburbia, it was it really started hitting, and that was kind of the era and the world um, where you know, we started like selling out in advance the venues in our hometown that we grew up seeing all of the, you know, quote unquote, huge bands in our world play where we were mm -hmm. like, oh my God, we just sold out the electric factory. That's the, where I've seen every single one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. um, and we just sold it out in advance. 
And then you walk in there when it's empty at load in and you're like, this thing is massive. And you're like, oh my God, 2,500 people care enough to like make time in their schedule to come pay for a ticket, come down to this, do the whole thing. That's wild, you know? Um, and it's, uh, it's humbling to like stand on that stage and be like, I remember being the first time where I'm like, oh, this is like, this is the state. It's like, there's nothing, there's nobody else up here. Like there's nobody like our gears, not in front of anybody else's like, it's just us, you know, like, cause before we'd been on some support tours, we're like, sure, sure, sure. But you're here to see newfound. I get it. Like mm-hmm. some of you like this and are, and are into it, but most of you are just like, shut up. I'm here to, you know, hear my friends over you and hit or miss. Right. Um, <laughs> but this was the first time where it's like, oh no, you, like there's none of that. It's just, it ends with us. Um, this is wild. And so that was, pro- it was probably that, uh, that world where, you know, we started, um, started having those realizations and then doing that and then realizing, oh, now we're like playing the venues in everyone's hometown that they go to see their favorite bands at. Oh, wow. That's kind of a, that's kind of a mind warp, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're their favorite. Band, and we're like, right? now we're their favorite band. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, it was, it was probably that it's like putting it in, um, in that kind of nostalgic context in our hometown for sure. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, I want to skip ahead a little bit here, uh, to right before 2020 in the, in the world shows down, are you guys on tour? Where were you at come right before we're all locked yeah. inside and have to learn this zoom thing and right on TikTok. Yeah, we were on tour. Um, we're actually, <clears throat> um, we're actually like out in the West coast and it was really, uh, as you m- might imagine, it was a strange time. Cause we were just like, you know, went from LA where I kind of woke up in front of the Fonda walked, went to the gym. Like it was a normal morning, came back, had a show. And I was like, what's this rumbling about this like COVID thing? Um, and then like two nights later, uh, we had, you know, or a couple nights later, we had just played San Francisco, uh, the night before and woke up and we're like, yeah, San Francisco just, um, you know, banned all gatherings above 250. We're like, if that show was a day earlier, it would have been canceled. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then we're sitting in Denver and, um, my, uh, and had some, had some friends, uh, there and we were, um, we were at a bar getting some dinner, like before the show and it was like a sports bar. So there were like, you know, TVs, like NBA all over. And I remember seeing something come across the ticker that was like NBA announces they will suspend, you know, the rest of this, you know, all further games. Mm -hmm. And then almost, uh, like almost in an uncanny, um, you know, moment of timing, then I get a, a news alert on my phone that pops up that says, uh, you know, American actor, Tom Hanks, uh, test positive for COVID. And I was like, I was like, it's over. This year, right. People love Tom Hanks and sports <laughs> way too much. This is going to get serious really quickly. Uh, and it did. And then within like, I think two days, um, you know, we were like calling it quits and, and heading home and, and missed the, you know, the last week of shows, um, which was like, uh, you know, hometown shows and all the shows in the Northeast, um, mm-hmm. you know, which we were obviously very excited about. Cause up until then that tour was going very well <laughs> and, um, and we were having a blast. So, um, it was a weird, strange time. And then everybody else lived it 
you know, in their own way. I'm sure I, you know, like I won't bore people because everybody remembers how frantic and traumatic that right. period was and that sense of unknowing. We were the same thing. We were, you know, all wandering around a parking lot, <clears throat> you know, um, outside the bus calling people being like, I don't know what's happening. Uh, we're getting on a call with our agent in 10 minutes. Like, I don't know. Are we going to try to rebook? Uh, I don't know. And then like parents, family being like, uh, I saw you guys cancel the rest of the tour. Is every what's happening? And then me being like, I'll, you know, uh, we're going to be home in two days. Uh, and then trying to like, you know, get everything situated from a quarantine standpoint and it all happened like the panic set in very quickly. Um, and so obviously we wanted to be home mm -hmm, uh, sure. as quick as possible to sort all of that out. Cause we were like, well, we're wasting time. If like the whole world's going to shut down, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of got to do a couple things <laughs> first. Um, so that, I mean, that was it. Yeah. So, it, and it was, it was wild, you know, and then, then, you know, trying to sort through and sift through everything else and figure out, maybe this maybe like this summer we can do it again and then i i think i remember even having those conversations about rebooking the tour for like another two three months and i was like in my head i was like yeah okay like we'll do that maybe you know that seems like a, a good move good solid move right push it back and i think in the back of my head i was like i know this is going to be way bigger than that. I know that we are, you know, that there's probably a very good chance that this is not how that's going to go, but you got to try, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's kind of the way the whole industry worked where it was trying to be, you know, cautiously optimistic and you can't just be like, well, I don't know, once everything's back to a hundred percent normal, then we'll figure this out. It's like, no, the industry, it's like we book tours like eight months, a year in advance, mm -hmm. you know, and all this planning goes into it. So you kind of have to, the second one thing shuts down, the gears are turning for already what's next and how you pivot and, and getting that locked in. Um, and we weren't the only one, everybody was doing that, you know, mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So it was, it was kind of chaos from that way. And it was just that way for, two years uh, yeah, and, and now, now we're still still got to sit in it right and now we're still kind of sitting in it but we found a way that hopefully it's safe enough because we have other protections we know a lot more about it you know there's vaccines there's there's way more protocols and, and people generally speaking um you know have a a bit better of an understanding about it and mm -hmm. and can you know can make the choice uh, to you know um you know, take the calculated risk if there is one, and you know, in certain places or not. Um, and so we feel good enough about it, um, you know, to go back out on tour, thankfully for the tour that should have been happening uh, a year and a half ago, you know, um, mm -hmm. that we, that we kind of had on the books. So, uh, but we're ready for it. Um, and we are, we're very optimistic about it and, um, and have tried to put as many, um, as many ideas and protocols in place to keep people safe. You know, you can't control everything. You can't control the weather. Uh, you also can't necessarily completely control and dominate a global pandemic. So uh, right. we're, we're just one band. So we're doing it. If people don't feel comfortable, of course we get that right. Mm -hmm. If people do and come there, we just, you know, want them to know that we've done everything in our power uh, from our standpoint to try and, uh, you know, make it safe. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also know that you, I mean, you can't please everybody, but that's a lesson we've been learning for 15 plus years now. <laughs> so, sure. uh, you, but that doesn't mean you don't try to go out and please some, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's where so we're at. The, the first <laughs> tour that you've done since the, the canceled tour and have you done any shows prior to that? 
we or, have or done. Okay. Yeah. So we did. Yeah. So we did a couple, we did like a week of a handful of shows uh, back in December, like some holiday shows, which oh, went okay. really well, which were so much fun. Um, and that was kind of us dipping our toe back into what is touring in this climate feel like for us mm -hmm. as a band and, um, you know, and for other people, um, you know, in like the, the Northeast where we, where we did the shows and we've done like one or two festivals and we did the live stream thing. We did a blink, um, dueling, like blink One Eighty Two Halloween cover set thing. Uh, oh, rad. You know, what, what, what blink songs did you do? Um, well, we, we covered a lot because, uh, with a six person band, uh, and because a lot of us are multi-instrumentalists, uh, You're really we actually, we actually split into blink a and blink B. Uh, <laughs> we had two bands, um, That's rad. That, uh, that kind of put a whole blink set together, um, of like blink a opens blink B is in the second slot. And then wonder years, uh, you know, is in the headline slot, uh, for a stream. So it was fun. We did a bunch of the, you know, um, the key songs that you would imagine, uh -huh. um, you know, like first date rock star. Um, and then we did a group damn it to close out the okay. uh, virtual encore set with the whole band. So three Love guitar it. players playing one damn it riff. It was great. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, every band's dream, you know, <clears throat> no, That's I want to play the riff. No, I want to play that. Okay. Well, we'll all play it. You take the first measure. I'll take the second. And then we all come in on the third. That's uh, cool. But it was, was, was funny for us. And even though we're much older than we were, when we started out, you still got to have some of the jokes, you know? <laughs> got it. So, yeah. That's so it was, cool. we've done, we've done some of that over the last couple of years that kind of kept us sane mm -hmm. and, and kind of, you know, tried to give, uh, give any fans at least something to hold them over. Cause it's not a, you know, a one for one replacement for a live show experience, but yeah. Sure. Well, we're excited for the, for the tour. And like I said, I'm going to be in Nashville when you, when you play there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'll be great. We, we are excited as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you dude so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I have one more quick question for you before I let you go. Absolutely. I want to know if you have uh, any advice for aspiring artists. Oh man. Um, you know, you've caught me at a time in my life where I seem to have almost too much, um, and have to refine, uh, who and when, <laughs> who and when I give it, um, for where it's most relevant, I guess. But yeah, like I mentioned, uh, you know, interestingly enough with the last couple of years, I've ended up doing some kind of, um, you know, like artist coaching and like, and brand development stuff and touching on a lot of worlds. Um, so I think one of the big things is if it's like truly a band and it's just starting out, uh, trying to like find their sound and figure out who they are, it, it you know, it's, it, I'm not the first person in any way to say this, but it really, uh, is a good solid place to start, I think. And it's never a bad idea to put your energy and time into writing, um, <clears throat> and just, uh, diving into the material, uh, making part of um being in a band because that's kind of where you make a lot of the mistakes you figure out what you're good at you figure out if it's multiple people involved right so say it's a band of two three four people um you figure out the cross section of all of the influences and where that band lives as an organism not just where you're thought as the guitar player that loves offspring and early green day lives but also where the rest of the influences all kind of meet in the middle and which elements of of all of those are most important to the band um and its creative identity right so 
that is something that you can only really find by writing a bunch of songs. And what I usually say is like, write, write bad ones, right? Have it be less about holding everything. And this is, this is our, the first song the band's ever going to release. It's got to be perfect. It's not going to be, it's just not, you know what I mean? Like also it's all relative. What you think is a perfect song now in 10 years, let me tell you as a man that literally is about to go out and play two records worth of material, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to look back on that and be like, if I had a mulligan, that measure would be different, you know, but it's okay because it's all part of the journey and we wouldn't get to where we are with wonder years and how we write currently and how we function and have just made what I think clearly biased is the best wonder years record to date. Uh, if it wasn't for all of those other, um, you know, things that in hindsight to, to you may, may be viewed as mistakes or less than perfect, but it's part of the journey. It's what, you know, um, I love the idea of, um, stand-up comedians talking about writing on stage where they test out material, you know, and especially now we're in a climate where, Hey, if you put out a bad song, everybody else is putting out a bad song. It'll just get washed away. If you put out a good song, people are going to be like, Oh shit, that band that put out a bad song, this song actually sounds great. Right? So try to hold things less tightly. Um, and, uh, and just figure that out. And also all the songs you write, you don't have to release all of them. But the point is you might have to write 10 bad ones to get to the one good one that you do want to put time and effort and money behind recording and releasing, you know? So that's also, um, I think maybe some solid advice. Um, there's plenty more where that came from if, uh, if anyone is ever interested uh, for whatever reason. Um, but um, I would say start there truthfully and, and that'll help define a lot of other things that are really important and, and set you apart as a band. <laughs>